Welcome to the Opium Den. I'm Daniel Williams. I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. It's a uh, dark and stormy night down here in Southwest Florida. Around uh, 6.30 this evening, we got a a storm worthy of a tropical storm down here. Very high winds, torrential rain, lightning that uh, was just absolutely spectacular to watch, but uh, the whole system crashed, so I'm hoping that everybody can hear me this evening. That's tuning in. So I had to do some quick work and shut down, reboot, and do all kinds of things to get our get our program on the air tonight. And our our sweet little eleven year old female chocolate lab, Bahama, she doesn't do well in the storm, so we have to uh, we have to give her some doggy downers. So she's here in this inside the studio and uh, laying down at the at the foot of my uh, my desk here. All doggy donnered out and not caring about the storms. But I hope the weather wherever you are tonight is is good. And uh, so I want to get in, uh, start tonight by uh, talking about some of the drug news of the past week. And I want to remind everybody to please give us a call. We'd like to hear from you. Our number is 727-493-2201. Two two zero five. That's a direct line to the Opium Den. Or if you are a Skype person, uh, my Skype ID is the New Libertarian. So give us a call on the mobile on the seven two seven number. Skype us at the New Libertarian, or you can send us an email. Uh, Daniel. The email address is Daniel at theopiumden.net. So I'd like to hear from you tonight. We usually get a caller or two, so that's always a lot of fun. So let's look at some of the uh, the drug news of the past week. Now, if you're a regular listener to the Opium Den, you know that I have a warm spot in my heart for the Wall Street Journal. I know that might confuse some of my friends and listeners out there, but I've been a uh, faithful reader and subscriber to the Wall Street Journal for over 20 years. Yes, it's a conservative newspaper, but uh, I think they're they're right about a number of things. And I want to uh, congratulate the Wall Street Journal again this evening uh, for their efforts in exposing the follies of drug prohibition. So this Saturday, the weekend edition of the Wall Street Journal, Saturday and Sunday, June thirteenth, June fourteenth, front page uh, front page big story on the on the Mexican drug war situation. It's got a big color portrait of a poster uh, for Mexico's most wanted man, Joaquin Guzman. His nickname is El Chapo. And uh, Mr. Guzman is considered Mexico's most wanted man. So the article is uh, is a very good one. It uh, talks about the carnage and the violence that's just south of the border and and also creeping across the border and creating some problems for us down that way. 
And to show you how brutal things are in Mexico, uh, the article in the Wall Street Journal says that uh, the death toll that's contributed to the drug war, the death toll of the past two and a half years stands at 11,000 dead. And that's an average of approximately 366 murders per month. That's over the past two and a half years, 30 months, they have lost an average of 366 uh, people a month due to the uh, drug war down there. But I want to just uh, give some props to the Wall Street Journal. Like I said, they've uh, more than any other uh, liberal newspaper out there, that's including the New York Times and the Washington Post, uh, the Wall Street Journal has, has devoted more ink to the, uh, to the follies of drug prohibition than any other newspaper, and it should be uh, rightly congratulated for their efforts. In my uh, 2004 book that I wrote, The Naked Truth About Drugs, I wrote in there that I believe the Wall Street Journal was the only, the only daily newspaper in, in the United States that had the balls to stand up and be the voice of reason. As a conservative newspaper, it's one of the conservative tenets that uh, personal responsibility and small government. And I wrote back then that I felt the New York, the uh, the Wall Street Journal, <clears throat> would be the would be the paper that uh, would get. Uh, the attention of conservatives and and steer them in the right direction to uh, repealing this appalling policy of drug prohibition. And the drug and the Wall Street Journal has not let me down. Uh, again, they're to be congratulated for their extensive coverage of the uh, the drug war. Now, by contrast, I did uh, I did mention the uh, the New York Times uh, as one of the liberal papers that. Uh, aren't doing uh, nearly enough uh, to expose the uh, the drug war. But uh, on this this Sunday, it was a good weekend for drugs out there. Uh, this Sunday in the uh, Sunday Opinion page, uh, Nicholas Kristof uh, wrote an article, and the headline was, is, uh, Drugs Won the War. And uh, it's not a, bad, uh, not a bad article at all. Um, doesn't really speak to uh, uh, the, doesn't really, you know, outright call for an outright uh, repeal, but it is a, it's an encouraging article. Uh, Mr. Kristoff says that uh, after four decades of uh, drug prohibition here in the United States, he says there have been uh, three consequences. Uh, the first consequence, according to Mr. Kristoff, is that we have uh, vastly increased the uh, proportion of our population in prisons. Well, that's, a, that's not exactly new news, but we do incarcerate per capita more individuals than any other country in America, country in the world, including uh, China, Russia, some of the more uh, draconian uh, governments and gulags out there. Um, and the, uh, the second point that... Uh, Mr. Christoph says four decades of drug prohibition have brought us. Says we have empowered criminals at home and terrorists abroad. Again, uh, stating the obvious. And uh, says that uh, one of the reasons uh, many prominent economists have favored easing the drug laws 
is that interdiction raises prices, which increases profit margins for everyone and just makes the whole thing much more uh, desirable for drug cartels. Uh, anyone from drug cartels in South America to the Taliban over in the Middle East. And uh, third, again, no great uh, revelation here, but Mr. Kristof says the third uh, consequence of four decades of insanity is that we have squandered resources. Well, though, there's another newsflash. Uh, the article mentions Jeffrey Myron. Now, Jeffrey Myron is a Harvard economist, and uh, it says here that uh, he found that federal, state, and local governments spend approximately uh, $45 billion uh, a year enforcing drug prohibition. And uh, it's, it also mentions that we have spent uh, seven times as much, seven times as much on uh, drug interdiction and some of the... Uh, uh, so some of the other some of the other uh, byproducts of uh, prohibition, like policing and imprisonment and things of that nature. So uh, he goes on to say, you know, that I've seen lives destroyed by drugs, and of course, yes, we we have all seen lives destroyed by drugs. We've seen them destroyed by alcohol, and we've seen them end badly through uh, lung cancer from from tobacco. But Mr. Kristoff goes on to mention uh, Jim Webb, and we've talked about Jim Webb here inside the Opium Den, and Jim Webb has the National Criminal Justice Commission Act of 2009, which is uh, ostensibly to rethink our, our, uh, our, our criminal justice system with an emphasis on, on uh, the drug issue. And uh, he, it says here that Mr. Webb says uh, that Mr. Obama, President Obama, has been uh, supportive of the idea, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, we're going to find out just how supportive our President Obama is with regards to uh, drug policy. This is a quote from Jim, Jim Webb here that was in uh, Nicholas Kristof's article, and it says, Jim Webb speaking, Our nation's broken drug policies are just one reason why we must re-examine the entire criminal justice system. And Mr. Kristoff says that is a brave position for a politician, and it's the kind of leadership that we need as we grope toward a more effective strategy against narcotics in America. Well, you know, yes, that's uh, that's nice, brave position, but really, I don't know what's what's so brave about a politician coming out and acknowledging a uh, a failed social experiment of of nearly 100 years now with the last 40 or so being especially intense. I don't know what's, so, what's such a brave position about coming out against, uh, against such a, uh, a destructive and destabilizing policy. And as I've mentioned here on the show, this commission that Jim Webb is trying to, to enact is an 18-month-long commission that more than likely will take, uh, more than likely take 24 months or more, two years or more to... Uh, to be studied and have its recommendations put forth and they'll be routinely ignored. But without, what the outrage, in my opinion, and where I believe President Obama has, has uh, failed, uh, failed us on this issue. And during, the, during that uh, commission, during that finding out period of uh, two years or so, at least 1.5 million Americans, mostly younger Americans, will be arrested for the simple possession of 
marijuana and thrown into the criminal justice system that Jim Webb is uh, is, is studying. So let's talk about uh, President Obama's courage on this. Uh, Candidate Obama said some very, uh, very positive things with regard to drug policy, and there were a lot of individuals who uh, who voted for President Obama that may not have had uh, drug policy as their number one concern, but it was on their uh, it was on their short list of concerns, and they were heartened by uh, the positive statements and the common sense statements that. Candidate Obama made as uh, during the run-up to uh, to the election, but now Candidate Obama is President Obama, and uh, President Obama has done a 180 on a lot of the uh, a lot of the um, promises that he made uh, for for changing drug policy. It took him a while to get the DEA to stand down, and even after Eric Holder. Our, Attorney General made it known there were still uh, been a couple of, of marijuana dispensaries uh, busted in, in states where marijuana, uh, medical marijuana laws are on the books. So I don't believe that um, that President President Obama is uh, is really all that concerned. And I've people people tell me they say, Dan, you know, don't rock the boat. This thing that uh, Jim Webb is doing is the Trojan horse to change in policy. Well, yes, uh, yes, and no. And they say that uh, that President Obama has too much on his plate to uh, to deal with drug policy. It's going to be a second term, uh, second term project. Well, uh, and that and that President Obama doesn't want to uh, spend any political capital on a on an issue that is so polarizing in the country. Well. I don't know how polarizing it can be when a Zogby poll found that uh, 76% of Americans believe that the drug war and drug prohibition has failed. So I think that uh, that's just a bullshit excuse uh, of President Obama that he's got too much on his, too much on his plate. Because with such a large constituency of, of Americans who believe that change, fundamental change is necessary in our drug policy, I believe that uh, President Obama, if he were to come out and truly support Jim Webb's uh, commission, he would, at the bare minimum, at the bare minimum, take marijuana out of Schedule One, and uh, or best just remove all federal prohibitions against marijuana cannabis and let the states do it. Uh, it would be a, a welcome, uh, a welcome policy, a welcome statement, and I think that it would uh, would enhance. President President Obama's position with a lot of people, and who's he going to piss off anyway? The, you know, the the hardcore ideologues who now are in the now they're considered part of the lunatic fringe that want to continue this insane policy. So, uh, you know, sad to say, but I've been around a long time, so it's not completely surprising. But President Obama uh, really doesn't have uh, much desire to to. Uh, pay back his constituency that voted for him uh, in the hopes of some common sense policy changes. Now, <clears throat> today, or in the past couple of days, if you've been paying attention to the news, uh, the uh, gay and lesbian lobby, uh, they're not very happy with uh, President Obama either because his, present, his uh, promise to 
uh, dismantled the don't ask, don't tell policy in the, uh, in the military. That was something that just like, just like drug policy he felt was wrong and that he was going to uh, address that. And he hasn't really done anything. <clears throat> and he just uh, today or yesterday signed into law uh, domestic partner uh, benefit policies for uh, federal workers. And uh, it was kind of like a sop to the, to the gay lobby. And they're up in arms. And uh, <clears throat> I don't blame them. I mean, you know, you make a promise and you don't fulfill it. And then you dance around the issue and say, well, you know, you got to wait. We just can't do this. We can't do that. Uh, you know, which, which is kind of horseshit. But the but the point that I'm that I'm getting to is that uh, you know where's where's the where's our equivalent to the gay lobby? I mean, these guys are on the news every night, uh, last night and today in in, uh, in Barack Obama's face. I mean, these are you know people who voted for him. These are Democrats. These are people who who drank the Kool Aid, and they've been all over the. They've been getting a lot of press. Uh, giving uh, President Obama a hard time on this. Uh, Rachel Maddow, she's the MSNBC um, lady uh, who's openly gay, so this is an issue that means uh, a lot to her. But what I'm, I, what, what I'm, what I'm disappointed in is, is that the gay lobby seems to be uh, much more organized than the drug policy lobby. What, what exactly are we getting for our money that... Uh, we give to all these drug policy reform organizations. Why aren't they on? Why aren't they on the TV demanding that President Obama live up to his policy promises, like the uh, like the gay lobby? So that, uh, that, that that's kind of got me uh, kind of got me upset this week. Um, one step forward, two steps back. But again, uh, think about that. The uh, the gay lobby has got uh, got the president's ear. Uh, they may not be doing anything for them, but they're all over the media uh, denouncing President Obama for not doing enough uh, on this issue. But yet, uh, the uh, the drug policy reform lobby has been uh, has been silent on this. And you know, they tell me, well, this and that, and we got to be careful. And I think that's bullshit. Uh, we need to be in uh, President Obama's face and force him to uh, to address this issue because obviously. After his uh, snide remarks about uh, you know pot smokers and the internet and the people who use the internet in general, uh, it doesn't appear that uh, we we pushed back at all. So uh, you know, write you know send uh, send an email to Ethan Nadelman over at the Drug Policy Alliance. Send an email to to Rob Campillo with the Marijuana Policy Project and and ask them uh, why. Uh, why they're not as effective as the uh, as the gay and, and uh, lesbian lobby, and while we're you know tangentially talking about sex, there was other news uh, just recently. Uh, Senator Ensign from uh, Nevada uh, was caught up in a uh, in a sex scandal. Republican, uh, another Republican caught up in a sex scandal. Of course, we've had our share of Democrats in the uh, sex scandals as well. Elliot Spitzer, one of the more famous ones. But you know what? 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 What just uh, just galls me is that once uh, once the shit hits the fan, these politicians stand up there, usually with their wife. But uh, Senator Ensign did not have his wife by his side when he did his mea culpa and I'm so sorry and blah 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 bullshit. 
The only thing these guys are sorry about, whether it's, you know, Republican or Democrat, the only thing they're sorry about is getting caught. Uh, you know, when they stand there and say, oh, I've, I've, let my, I've let my constituents down, I've let my family down, I've let myself down, I'm so embarrassed. Well, that's just horseshit. The only thing they're apologizing, the only thing they're sorry for is getting caught. And, uh, you know, whether it's Republican or Democrat, it doesn't really matter. The hypocrisy is the same. But I think it's a, the hypocrisy is a little greater on the Republican side because Senator Ensign, back when Clinton was going through his little sexcapades with Monica Lewinsky, uh, Senator Ensign was, uh, was, was just, just, you know, beat the shit out of Clinton for this. You know, he's such a moralizing, I'm a Christian, I'm a promise keeper, and all this kind of crap. And so the, the hypocrisy is even worse uh, when it comes to the Republicans because they set themselves up as these, you know, very Christian, very conservative family values guys. And, you know, the whole time they're, you know, talking about that, they're in the sheets with the wife of a, of a campaign staff member, as, as in the case of uh, Senator Ensign. Or, uh, you know, probably more legitimately or at least uh, less hypocritical is... Uh, Elliot Spitzer, you know, buying hookers. At least, uh, <laughs> you know, at least, uh, uh, you know, Spitzer wasn't giving his heart away. There's like, like Ensign did. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just crazy shit. So again, uh, you know, these are these are things that are on my mind. Give us a call, seven two seven four nine three twenty two zero five. If you Skype, Skype me at uh, my ID, the New Libertarian. Or send us an email, daniel at theopiumden.net, and uh, we'll, we'll share your comments with everybody. Now, uh, we'll get back to, uh, to the uh, issue of, uh, of drugs. You know, we've got the sex part covered. Uh, maybe we'll talk rock and roll later, but we've got the sex part, and so let's go back uh, <clears throat> to the drug part. As everyone knows, our new drug czar is Gil Kurlikowski. And uh, you probably also know that they're no longer referring to this insanity as a drug war. Oh, we have a we have a call coming in. Let's answer this. You're inside the opium den. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. What's up? Uh, this is Sean calling. And uh, how you doing, how Sean? You doing? Good. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. What's on your mind? Good to hear. Well, I received your book as a birthday gift, and I really liked it. Well, happy birthday. And I was reading. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, While well, I was reading through it, and I um, uh, read that you were a student at Ohio State. What did you think about it? Did you like it, or was it bullshit? That was great. Great. I loved it. Okay. Well, I had to get that plug in. <laughs> so anyway, you, you said about I was at Ohio, I went. Yeah, I went to Ohio State. Yep, and uh, I currently go there now, and uh, really, just in, uh, yep, I'll be a senior. But uh, um, just wanted to say that nothing's really changed in the last uh, from the past forty years. Really? So <clears throat> you read my book and you read about my exploits at uh, during my college years from six, 1968 to nineteen seventy two at Ohio State, and. And you don't think much uh, much has changed in the past forty years as far as uh, drug use and, and and type of drugs, right? Right. 
Definitely. Well, let me let me let me ask you this. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I don't have to assume. I know because I speak on college campuses all the time. Obviously, uh, marijuana is the uh, is the number one drug of choice out there, right? Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely yeah. recreational and uh, definitely the go-to. Well, let me let me ask you about this. This may be a little different. This is uh, from my time back there and your time uh, back when I was in school. Uh, you know, everybody has to uh, pull all nighters because they drink the quarter away, and then the last week they. They do speed and stay up all night and studying for their exams. Now, because back when I was in school, um, there was a lot of uh, bathtub speed, basically uh, uh, black market speed. There wasn't a lot of uh, prescription mm-hmm. speed back there. But I've noticed, and, I, and maybe you can you can correct me or agree with me, but I noticed that on college campuses now, there's not a lot of of uh, black market speed out there. That there's a very very easy access to uh, Ritalin and uh, and Adderall. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's definitely true because if someone gets a prescription and then they get a hold of it or know someone has it, either steal it or buy it from them, and then they go back and sell either the Ritalin or the um, Adderall or whatever it may be. Well, actually, <clears throat> you're you're luckier than uh, most of the students back in the '60s because pharmaceutical amphetamines were not nearly as prevalent and uh, available as they are now. So if you're going to be doing, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're going to be doing speed, um, I think it's best to have a pharmaceutical product where you know the exact dose and the exact uh, chemical compound. You're going to be better off uh, doing that type of uh, study aid as uh, we had in the back. So I think that's one thing that uh, that maybe is a difference between my time and your time. And I actually think it's better for you to have that uh, a prescription type drug as opposed to just bootleg, uh, bootleg amphetamines. But let me ask you about hallucinogenics. Uh, do you see a lot of uh, a lot of LSD or magic mushrooms or what's what seems to be uh, the skinny on that? Um, I mean, I'm sure it happens. Um, I don't see a lot of I personally never seen anyone do any kind of hallucinogen or I mean that being LSD or mushrooms or anything but I've heard people talk about them and if they've done them and what their experience has been I mean I've heard good bad I mean I guess it just goes with the environment you're in when you do it and your state of mind but I've heard of people doing it but never really witnessed it well do they talk more about mushrooms or more about LSD Definitely mushrooms, and I'm pretty sure. I mean, I think they're pretty easy to get too. You know, that's that's, that's yeah. That that's been my understanding. You know, talking to uh, to students when I when I travel around and speak about drug prohibition, that uh, yeah. mushrooms are pretty pretty readily accessible. They're a little different than uh, back in when I was in uh, in college. That's when LSD was very prominent, very popular. So there was more LSD around, at least at Ohio State in my circles, there was more LSD around than, uh, than mushrooms. But I noticed over the years that uh, mushrooms uh, seem to be more popular than LSD, primarily because they are uh, more accessible, more readily found uh, than LSD. So I, I'm assuming then, uh, Sean, right? Yep. Yep. I'm assuming yeah. that uh, you've never tried uh, any type of hallucinogenics? No, no, I haven't. I don't know. Too. I mean, the only, the only things I know about them is what I've heard, and I mean, obviously from past health classes. Other than that, what about uh, 
now back when I was in school, uh, again, 68 to 72, uh, there really wasn't a lot of cocaine around. And when you, when, whenever there was any cocaine around, it was one, it was rare and it was really expensive. So what, what's it like with, uh, with cocaine on, on campus now? Do you, uh, do you find that to be readily accessible? Your friends talk about that? Yeah, I mean, if you, if you're really looking for it, I'm, I'm sure you're going to have no problem finding it. I mean, Again, kind of with, um, I mean, actually, I have witnessed people doing, uh, doing it at parties and stuff, taking a line off the table or whatnot. Definitely seen that. I've seen people do it at a bar, too. But, uh, I mean, with the people I hang out with, I mean, it's not something that we just, we do. Um, so you're, you're more potheads and, and, yeah. and, and booze hounds. That's one thing that hasn't changed for all, for all eternity is that college students seem to uh, drink an awful lot of alcohol. Yes. And, uh, you know, another drug we didn't have uh, any access to back in uh, back in the old days, I guess. I hate to use that term, but um, another another drug that uh, we didn't have access to were uh, Vicodins and Percocets, you know, those semi-synthetic morphine tablets. Uh, How uh, how prevalent or how easy is it to find uh, a Vicodin or a Percocet on campus? Uh, I mean, just I mean, just uh, along with like trying to get Adderall or some of those other prescription drugs. I mean, they're pretty easy to come by if someone knows someone and buys their prescription. They have a past prescription. I mean, all you have to do is just ask. And I know those are definitely used a lot with partying and with alcohol to get drunker faster and whatnot. What are they? What what are they? What do you have to pay for a Vicodin these days? Um, I mean, it just depends. I, I've, I've paid, I think, heard like five bucks. People charge five bucks per pill. I mean, not too expensive. Well, now, what about uh, this? Now, this is a drug, that, another drug that we didn't have back then, uh, although we had a drug that, that had similar properties to it. But ecstasy, is that, is that still uh, a drug that's popular or is that waning? Or yeah, uh, what's your, what are your I mean, thoughts on that? I, you know, I really don't know about that one. Um, I'm, I'm sure, especially being in Columbus and Ohio State, I'm sure there's people that use it. But my understanding is, I mean, I don't know many people that really use it. So it's probably not that <laughs> that popular anymore, or just not popular in your circles. I think it's just not as popular on campus, or I mean, just for the general campus. I mean, I feel like people there's other go-to drugs before that. Now the you know I'm I'm not gonna, I can't make any assumptions about you other than you're going to be a senior. What are, are you a smart kid? You get good grades or what? Yeah, for the most part, I mean, I definitely put the effort there, and I definitely want to excel and um, excel in my work and get all get out of college everything I possibly can. And definitely, school comes first before. What's your what's your what's your cum? What's your grade point average? Cum right now is a three four five. Well, that's not bad. Now, when you when you when you look at uh, when you look around your circles, the, you know the people that that smoke pot or, you know, maybe do a mushroom every now and then or, or a Vicodin. Do you find that, uh, you know, most of most of the stoners are are like you? You know, they're they're, they're you know good students. They're just doing this because they enjoy it. Or do you think that there's a lot of uh, slackers out there that are that are smoking pot in college? Um, I mean, it, it, I think it just goes with the person, like their personality and how driven and motivated they are. Um, I mean, I know people that smoke pot on a regular basis that, that do great in school. And then 
also on the other hand I know people that smoke pot and don't do anything with their day besides play Xbox and get high yeah so that's well that was the, that was the same thing I found back in school that you know the people that were motivated to do well in school and to succeed in life you know the, you know a lot of those guys uh, smoked pot and then we had the guys that the guys and girls who you know, didn't give as much, uh, didn't give a shit about, you know, really doing well in school and smoke pot. So I think it's the individual. I don't think the drug makes you a slacker or makes you smart or anything. I just think it's the type of person you are. And then if you smoke pot, it doesn't really make that big a difference. It doesn't change you or make you better or make you worse, per se. Yeah, and I mean, again, with pot there, I mean, it's uh, it doesn't, like, what on the other hand, from alcohol, I mean, you go out and you drink hard or whatever, I mean, you're going to feel like garbage in the morning, but then if you just smoke, I mean, you feel good that day and you wake up feeling pretty good, too. Yeah, well, that's been my experience. I've been uh, I've been smoking pot for almost 40 years. I'm not a drinker, so I'm, I'm almost a teetotaler. I'll have a drink every now and then to celebrate something, but I, I've maybe had three three or four drinks uh, this year. So I'm not uh, I'm not much of a of an alcohol drinker, but let me ask you this, Sean. Uh, what do you, what do you think about our drug laws? Do you think that marijuana should be uh, should be legal? Or all the other drugs, just pot, no drugs. What 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 what's your what's your thinking on uh, drug prohibition? I mean, obviously, obviously marijuana. I mean, I think that should be legalized. I mean. It has less. It's less harmful than alcohol, but alcohol is legal, and that doesn't make sense to me. Um, well, I mean, well, you can do a lot less stupid stuff uh, on pot rather than alcohol. I mean, I think I think that's definitely true. Along with, I guess, with the other drugs. I mean, I don't know enough about them. I don't know what would happen, like if they were legal from a legal standpoint, like people's safety and availability and like who could get who could get a hold of them? Um, well, if, 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 if you could if you could walk into a, a CVS or a Walgreens tomorrow and buy uh, you know buy and buy liquid morphine, would uh, would you all of a sudden just because it's legal go out and try it? Um, I mean, maybe some stuff, but uh, not all of it. But I mean, yeah, stuff I was really really curious about, or yeah. I mean, when you put it that way, yeah, definitely. Well, what what drugs would you, you know, what what current drugs that are illegal would you like to do if they were legal? I mean, are you are you not doing drugs because they're, <clears throat> because they're illegal, or you're just not doing it because you can get them if you want, but you just don't want to do them? I mean, I, I just think some of them are just they're just too hard to come by. They're they're too much work to even try to get. You have to go through some people that you really wouldn't want to associate with, and. Again, like you're getting it from if you don't know the person, I feel like who knows what you're getting. I mean, you don't know if it's your first time. You don't know if this stuff is really what is what they're saying it to be. Well, are, are there I any drugs you would like to try that you don't try now because you don't know what you're getting? I definitely want to try mushrooms. Just hearing what people people said about them. I mean that and. Uh, but not, I mean, but, but none of, but none of the hard drugs, none of the hard drugs like coke or morphine. Yeah, I've been, I've been, I've always, uh, I have a buddy that uh, has recently kind of gotten into that stuff, and he's always asked if I want to, and there's always part of me saying, yeah, go ahead and do it, but then there's another side of me saying, no, I mean, maybe you shouldn't do it. 
Well, I think that's, that's, mean, that's, pretty, that's pretty standard. A lot of the young people I talk to, college-age people, you know, they, they tell me that if they want to do any of these drugs, it's not hard to find. And whether, you know, if they became legal, there wouldn't be any, any great rush for them to go out uh, uh, and, and, and try those drugs. So, Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with that. But, I mean, if something became, it was controlled by, um, it was controlled by something and it wasn't just off the street. I mean, I feel a lot better about doing, putting that in my body than getting it from someone you have no idea who, who they are and um, what you're going to be putting in your body. That's the one thing that really holds me back from a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned Sean, that you got, uh, you got my book, The Naked Truth About Drugs, uh, mm-hmm. as a birthday present. Was there any uh, anything in the book that uh, that you that you uh, that you really liked or that you disagreed with or? What um, you, I mean, I'm not trying to put you on the spot or anything. Oh, pro- fine, fine. I definitely enjoyed reading about your LSD trip and uh, um, out, uh, outside of Columbus. Definitely enjoyed reading that. I mean, it definitely. I always thought that was kind of uh, not really like made up or kind of. Uh, blown out of like uh, blown out of proportion when you see when you actually like see stuff and you have like hallucinations hallucinations like you were talking about. I just always thought that was kind of far fetched. And uh, <laughs> well, where do you where do you do, where do you try mushrooms the first time? It won't be it won't be nearly as far fetched. <laughs> yeah, it just I guess it's like um, it's like yeah, the reaccounts of how you felt the first time you tried that and. Just in, the, in general for the book, I, I mean, that was pretty cool. Like how you give a background of the drug, the history, and then you talk about uh, your opinion on it, how you felt when you used it, and that's pretty cool. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you liked it, Sean, and I want to I want to thank you for calling in. Uh, no Ohio State thank University, you. my old uh, my old stomping grounds, and. Uh, I certainly appreciate it. Is there anything you want to you want to give a shout out to anybody or anything else you want to say before we close out? Um, I mean, hopefully we just make some progress in uh, the war on drugs and all the legality side of it, and hopefully we see some changes in the next five to ten years, which I think we will. But just uh, I guess we'll leave with that. All righty. Well, Sean from Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, thanks for coming inside the Opium Den tonight. Thank you. All righty. Bye now. Okay. That was a young man named Sean calling from Ohio State University. So if you want to get on the, if you want to come inside the Opium Den, give us a call at 727-493-2205 or Skype me at my ID the new libertarian or send me an email daniel at the opiumden.net we'll read it over the air and share your comments so but where i was going before uh before sean from ohio state called i was going to talk about uh, uh gil i was getting to talk about gil kurlikowski as everyone knows is our as our new uh <clears throat> drugs are and they're not, they're not calling it a drug war anymore. They're going to they're gonna give this guy a different title. They're going to quit calling him drug czar or, or, or what. But um, I want to I wanna send out a, a thank you to uh, Scott Morgan over at StopTheDrugWar.org. He has a, uh, a good piece today about 
uh, Kurlikowski uh, and his interview with Rolling Stone magazine. And uh, it's interesting uh, that uh, Kurlikowski said we're not going to call it a drug war anymore. That's just not good terminology. But as uh, Scott uh, notes in his article today, that uh, when you go to uh, Gil Kurlikowski's office uh, in Washington, which was uh, formerly known as the Office of National Drug Control Policy, the UNDCP, uh, right outside the office there is a big poster of Uncle Sam on, and uh, what it says on the poster, it says, We are at war. Are you doing all you can? So uh, we're not calling it a drug war anymore, but obviously uh, we're still at war. Uh, if you believe Uncle Sam and the poster outside Gil Kurlikowski's office there in Washington. But uh, Scott does a pretty good job of condensing the, uh, uh, the, uh, the gist of the Rolling Stone. Oh, my God, I have another, another call coming in. Let's see what we got here. You're inside the opium den. Thanks for calling. Yeah, Dan? Yes, I am. Hey, are you, are you not live? Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm live. Are you not being able to listen? Well, I'm listening, but I was just calling in. I was just listening to the show and about the legalization of drug, and I had a question for you. Well, what, uh, what's your name? Mike. Mike, what, uh, what question you got, Mike? Well, when you're talking about legalizing pot now, which I'm in favor of doing that, but I'm a little skeptical of some of the harder drugs like the Cokes and all some of the narcotics, you know, that they might be a little bit too easy to get. You know, they're, they're a little bit highly addictive compared to, say, like pot. I don't see pot as being an addictive drug. I mean, what's your opinion on that? Oh, do, you, do you get high, Mike? Yes, I do. you ever do coke? I have. Did you get addicted? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, if you uh, if you did coke and didn't get addicted, do you think you're special, or do you think you're just like everybody else, and that uh, they would they would do coke and quit when they were tired of it and not be? Well, I've been around a long time, and I've you know I've grown up in areas where I've seen a lot of drug abuse and such, and and some of the harder drugs, it just seems like people have a real low tolerance of control. And you know, I liken it a lot of times to alcohol. It just it doesn't seem like people do you know, quite as bad on it. Well, I guess they do rob for alcohol and stuff, but it just seems like some of the other harder drugs, people are more willing to risk more trouble to get them. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, that's where all the problem is. It's not It's not really the drug per se. I mean, I'm, I'm not recommending that anybody become a heroin addict or a cocaine addict, but the, what you're talking about is, is very is very right. The biggest problem, the biggest risk with, with narcotics uh, comes during the acquisition and the use period. You know, that's that's your biggest risk. If you get caught with these drugs, your shit's in the wind. But if you were able to to get these drugs, say you could go to, to CVS or Walgreens and uh, buy from, uh, from the pharmacist, if you could buy a half a gram of cocaine or, uh, you know, vials of morphine to shoot up if you're an intravenous drug user... Uh, and didn't have to go through the the trauma of dealing with the black market where all the crime is, wouldn't that be better? I mean, I understand that uh, these addictive substances uh, are not good, but if you didn't have to go through all the crime and the bullshit to get them, don't you think there'd be less less difficulty, less crime, less problems associated with it as far as the actual market itself, not the 
the effects of the drug? Well, I do certainly think that a lot of the legalizations would help us a lot. Just like what you were touching on, just even the law enforcement expenses. There's so many expenses um, involved in this drug prohibition that could be spent for better use, I think, especially in today's society. But, you know, maybe, you know I, just, I just always wonder about the, the addictiveness of some of those harder drugs and people's ability to control themselves if it's so readily available. Well, were you, were you uh, able, when you were doing coke, was it readily available? Pretty much, but I, you know, not everybody can just walk away from it. I never really thought coke was, I thought it was kind of a waste of money myself. <laughs> well, yeah, so like I said, back to my original question, do you think that makes you special or just regular or normal and a lot of other people would have the similar experience that you did if they tried coke? Um, well, most, I've had a lot of friends that couldn't control it. You know, they, they would go off on the deep end very drastic, especially with like crack type drug, you know which is really, it really grabs a hold of people kind of quickly there, but I do, I mean, I'm a very, I'm a, I very much think we need to legalize pot, and I think people are penalized too, too greatly, and especially our kids. Well, speaking of, speaking of kids, do you you have kids, Mike? Yes, I do, and, um, and I, and I know I've been a kid, and when Getting busted for a couple of joints is ridiculous, but it follows you around for the rest of your life. It's kind of a harmless thing. I imagine 80% of the people out there has tried and at least smoked a joint one time in their life, and if they would have got busted while they were doing it, it could have a negative influence on the rest of their life just because it's on their record. I think it's kind of um, kind of crazy. Well, how, how old are your kids, Mike? Uh, 27 and um, 14. 27 and 14. Well, it's 13 years difference. <laughs> Somebody forget to wrap that rascal or something? <laughs> well, let me ask you this for your for your oldest child, boy or girl? Girl. Um, do you think that uh, that she's smoked pot or done drugs? Have you had any type of conversations with her? What do you think? Oh, I'm sure, and I know she does. I don't, you know, partake, you know, I'm sure I know that. Does she know you smoke pot? Oh, I don't know. She probably does. I just don't do it with her. Do you lie to her and tell her you don't? No, I don't say that. We don't discuss it, really. Would you rather your Would you rather your daughter uh, smoke pot or or drink booze? If they were both uh, legal, if they were both legal, I'd probably think um, pot would have a less effect, you know, less negative effect on your life than what uh, booze will, for sure. Seems like pot's more controllable than any of the drugs out there. Uh, booze definitely is not controllable for a lot of people. Well, do you think that, um, you know, do you think it's hypocritical that uh, alcohol and tobacco, the two worst drugs by impairment and and, uh, health risks, do you think it's right that those are the only two drugs that should be legal? Oh, no, I agree with you on that. I think it is hypocritical. What about uh, about Vicodins? You ever do Vicodins, Percocets? Oh, yeah, and um, I've had to take them for, you know, when you've had, pain management or something like that, but it never was anything that I would found that I would enjoy on a regular basis. So if, if you could go to a pharmacy and buy a blister pack of a 5, 10 milligram Vicodin for $20, you wouldn't be running out and buying them unless you had a backache or something? Probably. I'd be more uh, apt to buy the, a joint. <laughs> well, <laughs> how about opium? Have you ever smoked opium? Yeah, but those kind of, you know, I'm, 
I don't know. I've done a lot of things in my life, and uh, I just don't, those kind of things really don't. They're great once in a while, but they're not something that interests me on a regular basis. But so, so you're you're four square behind uh, marijuana being legal, but you're you're hesitant on some of the other drugs. You'd have to kind of exactly. see what the scheme was before you could buy into it. Yeah, I'd have to see what they, you know, how they plan on, you know, the the healthcare involved on those other drugs as far as addiction, you know, dealing with the addictions and the problems that'll go along with it, based on you know seeing it as an illegal drug and what people do to get it. You know, it could be completely different when it's legal. It's hard to say. You know, you'd have to have some kind of guidance, though, for those people. I think. Well, we do. We do have some. We do have some historical guidance on uh, on narcotics back prior to the Harrison Narcotics Act of 1914 being passed by Congress. You could buy all of those drugs: cocaine, opium, uh, laudanum, and even uh, even heroin from the Sears Roebuck mail order catalog. And uh, we were encouraged to take those drugs. But one of the interesting facts is that during that time when all those drugs were you know, readily available and, and no, no prohibitions against them, uh, the addiction rate in our country was uh, less than 2%. And again, that's when uh, we were recommended to take these drugs. And now, almost 100 years after uh, drug prohibition, we still have an addiction rate of less than 2%, but we have this insane... Uh, black market and all the uh, the criminal activities. So if you look back into our history, uh, back when those uh, substances were readily available, we had no drug crime whatsoever. And you, would you be willing to trade uh, 50% of our country's uh, crime, according to the FBI, is, is uh, directly tied to uh, drug prohibition? So if we were to repeal drug prohibition and, and 50% of our crime went away, we wouldn't, you know, addiction wouldn't change. But if we if we got rid of fifty uh, percent of our crime, do you think that'd be a good trade-off? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think you would probably do away with. It's possible you would do away with a larger portion of the crime than that, even. Yeah, you're exactly right. Because if if half the crime went away overnight, which would happen in a in a situation where we repealed drug prohibition, what we'd have in essence, we'd have the it'd be like doubling the police force if the the same number of cops are chasing half the crime. It's like the effect is doubling the police force, and they would do a much better job of, of closing out cases that, are, that, uh, that they arrest and also stopping crime before it happens. So, you know, theoretically, we could, we could see our crime rate drop as much as 70%, and I think that would be, uh, would be unprecedented, and it would be uh, a tremendous, uh, tremendous boost to society. So... Uh, you, so you would even even if even if the addiction rate were to double, and I doubt very seriously that would happen. But I would I would trade a doubling of the addiction rate to eliminate seventy percent of the crime in the United States. What do you think? I think I mean if that if that was true, I would have to agree with you. And I'm not sure that it would be double addiction rate, but if I I think it would be if you could just reduce the crime, it'd be worth it. Well, I pay the taxpayers a, a lot of money, and we need that money right now to pay for Obama's spending. <laughs> yeah, I, I take it you're not too happy with our current president. <laughs> no, I didn't come on here to be political, but I definitely am not happy. Well, I'm not happy with him either. You know, I mean, he's he's disappointed me on a number of levels, but none more important than his than his chicken shit backpedaling on uh, on drug policy. So. 
That's uh, that's all the politics we'll get into. But I just, I just you brought it up, <laughs> so I thought I'd just uh, sneak one in there. Well, listen, Mike. Uh, uh, is there anything else you want to say? I appreciate you calling and coming inside the opium den tonight. You got anything? Any anybody you want to say hi to, or any uh, any parting uh, parting words before we uh, hang up here? Have a have a good night there, Dan. Well, I appreciate you calling in, Mike, and. Uh, Keep the show rolling. Okay, well, you keep listening and tell all your friends. I appreciate it. Okay, bye-bye. All right, thanks, Mike. Okay, well, that was uh, Mike. forgot to ask Mike from where he was from, but he sounded like, uh, like a southern boy to a, to a degree. Smart-sounding smart guy. I think he, he's got a pretty good, pretty good understanding of uh, how silly this, this whole uh, drug war is. And speaking about how how silly it all is, obviously, uh, we're going to close out uh, close out the show tonight. Unless we get another another phone call, I want to I want to get in my my digs at uh, uh, Gil Kurlikowski with regards to his uh, Rolling Stone interview again, uh, referencing Scott Morgan's excellent piece today at StopTheDrugWar.org. Check them out. Very. Uh, very good website. They're in the, They're up there with new stuff every day. Uh, more dedicated than I am. I'm, I'm trying to blog every day, but uh, I'm not nearly as uh, consistent as the folks over at StopTheDrugWar.org. I recommend that you, uh, if you don't, uh, if you haven't checked them out yet, check them out. Uh, put them in your bookmarks. And uh, very, very informative. Very smart uh, bunch of guys. So. Uh, Scott, uh, I know you're probably not listening, but uh, I send out uh, props to you. So I'm going to rip you off here, plagiarize everything else on your on your article because it was so uh, so well written. But you make a very good point here. Um, you know, you you mentioned the poster that's outside Kurlikowski's office, the big picture of Uncle Sam on the poster declaring, "We are at war. Are you doing all you can?" Well, I'm doing all I can because I smoked the shit out of pot and. Uh, <laughs> whatever else I could do. So if we're at war, I'm I, I'm at peace. But uh, I understand the whole deal. But you uh, you make a good point, Scott. In here, you talk about uh, Curly Kowski and his interview with uh, with Rolling Stone, and uh, what you call his comical inability to answer basic questions about the issues he works on. And you're going to state that. Um, he was he, he was asked some questions uh, about marijuana, and he, one of the questions Rolling Stone asked is, uh, "Does the does the tripling of marijuana arrests uh, since 1970 represent good policy?" Very basic question. I mean, that's his job. He should have a, an opinion on that. And it, uh, you say that he said, "Well, I'd like to look at the issue more closely." Well, okay, there's a dodge. And uh, another question he was asked: uh, Would the feds or the DEA, federal government? Uh, respect the laws of states that vote to legalize marijuana consumption for adults. And uh, Curly Kowski, again, uh, you know, a, a great question, he says, but uh, one that he won't venture to answer. You know, I mean, what the fuck? I mean, these are pretty basic, basic questions you would ask of, uh, of someone who was in charge of drug policy. And then uh, another question that says, uh, does the U.S. experience with Pan-Columbia, which is the uh, agreement our government has with Colombia to uh, to keep giving all the uh, narco terrorists uh, tens of hundreds of billions of dollars every year in their cocaine business. But you asked uh, the Rolling Stone asked if the U.S. experience with Plan Colombia that provide uh, some sort of a template 
uh, for dealing with the violent cartels in Mexico, and apparently uh, Mr. Kurlikowski has no comment on that. Uh, he just doesn't know, uh, was what the Rolling Stone said. Uh, and this was a quote, uh, he goes, Kurlikowski goes, after three weeks, I'm still finding my way around the office, he says with a laugh. Well, you know what the fuck? Three weeks and he can't find his way around the office. It's kind of time to means he couldn't find his ass if he was sitting on his hands. And this is our our new drug czar. Of course, he's no he's he's no ideologue at least, like John Waters or Walters, and he's certainly not the moralizing hypocrite that uh, Bill Bennett was. But here's a guy who uh, our new drug czar and can't ask can't answer uh, basic questions about the the job that he has been. A charge to do. And uh, Scott says, uh, the whole thing is, a, I'm going to read right off of uh, Scott's blog. you got to read the rest of it. Go to the stopthedrugward.org and uh, the Chronicle blog and listen and read what Scott has to say. But I'm going to, uh, I'm going to quote um, his last paragraph here because I think it's uh, well written. Scott writes, the whole thing is a brutal embarrassment and a vivid illustration of the appalling intellectual bankruptcy that characterizes the government's position on drug policy in general. These are extremely basic policy questions, but they have serious implications. If you can't even begin to make informative statements about federal policy, then what right do you have to dismiss calls for reform? I like that, Scott. And he finishes up, is there ever a shred of legitimacy to Kurlikowski's opposition to legalization if he can't even tell us what the current policy is supposed to be? Very succinct, very, very right on the money, Scott. So again, I want to, I want to thank Scott Morgan over at StopTheDrugWar.org for his post today on the Chronicle blog. For all of my listeners, check out StopTheDrugWar.org. Send them a few bucks. And uh, help them out because they're some of the uh, smartest people on the blog, in the blogosphere, uh, talking about drug policy reform. So uh, there you have it. We're just about in down at the end of the uh, at the end of the hour. I want to thank uh, Sean from Ohio State for calling in, and I would like to thank Mike from wherever you are for calling in. I enjoyed uh, speaking with both of you, and I'm sure our Listeners uh, enjoyed hearing what you have to uh, say as well. So what? Uh, that's uh, that's about it for uh, for this week. And uh, again, I want to thank everybody for for uh, listening in tonight. So um, our 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 motto here at the uh, at the Opium Den. Um, is uh, is this, and I'm going to leave it with you uh, at the end of every week. When good people obey bad law, bad law never changes. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.